I don't know what any of those words mean. Nazgul, clearly the tea party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? Welcome back to the Hoot. It's uh, it's it's a day of mourning here uh, in Hoot Nanny Studios. Um, the elections last night reminded me a lot watching election returns of Game Three of the ALCS, which may be the last time we've talked to you. <laughs> <laughs> There's a certain sort of elegant symmetry between watching the Orioles die via uh, a series of just niggling little paper cuts and watching the returns as the Republican majority crept slowly westward across this great nation. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, we could focus on that, or we could focus on the fact that you just described this show as having elegant symmetry (laughs) with anything, (laughs) which I think is uh, one of the highest compliments we've ever paid ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't we once claim that we were fixing democracy on this show? Uh, I think we did fix democracy. Okay. And uh, someone in an iTunes review (laughs) said that that's what we were doing. And speaking of iTunes reviews, you should leave us one of those. uh, Because clearly, as you've already noticed, um, we're going in good directions on this hour of the show. And if you're enjoying this hour so far... And uh, and have enjoyed the other things that we've put out. Please go on to iTunes and let us know about that. Thank you very much to all the folks who've been doing that lately. The show is called Baltimoreans, <laughs> and you can find us under that name. iTunes is a software application on your computer <laughs> that you're probably using to listen to these words right now. Also, if you are a particularly observant listener, you've probably heard another voice already on this track so far. So we are joined in more than just laugh track status by our good friend and fellow conspirator, Nick Markovich. Guys, it's great to be here. Um, Who you may remember from, let's see, when was the last time we had you on to fix the when, Mets? Uh, yeah, which went <laughs> smashingly. <laughs> uh, work in progress. Work in progress. Work in progress. But today we have much larger goals than merely the Metropolitan Organization. Indeed. Indeed. We on the show today have invited Nick here, uh, uh, perhaps by way of apology for mistreating him so <laughs> to such an extreme degree on the Fix the Mets episode. Uh, Nick here is here to tell us how to fix baseball entire. Uh, forget the Mets, forget the Orioles, forget uh, whoever your preferred team is. It's hilarious to me that you would like a team other than the Orioles and still be listening. Um, <laughs> but if you're here, welcome. Please leave us an iTunes review. And hello, Ben Mastin. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, friend. <laughs> a few a few quick notes on the 111th episode before we get underway this evening. Um, in my ongoing one-man attempt to educate the greater Baltimore area about ex-British admirals, it should be noted... <laughs> That cricketers refer to the number 111 as a Nelson, in tribute to, of course, Adam Admiral Horatio Nelson, who was said to have one eye, one arm, and one leg at the time of his death. 111, of course, being 111. The number <laughs> is a superstitious one for English cricket players for this very reason. But this, of course, pales 
in historical and literary significance to the fact that the birthday party that begins the Fellowship of the Rings book is to celebrate the 111th birthday of the great Bilbo Baggins. Bilbo is a remarkable hero, as we all know, for a series of reasons, but perhaps his most appealing quality is his ability to give up power. In fact, in the entire Lord of the Rings series, he is the only one who is able to voluntarily give up the One Ring under his own control after having had it in his possession, including Frodo, who is only able to give up the One Ring when Gollum unceremoniously bites his finger off and then plummets into Mount Doom, thus destroying the ring. Yes? Someone else give it up? Uh, Tom Bombadil. Right? <laughs> oh, that's right. But, it, but, he, but, but he's not really a person, right? He is a person. He's a... But he's uh, like a, he's like a, a, a mystical creation. Tom, Tom Bombadil. Sam, you can go to sleep for five minutes because I know this stuff <laughs> does not interest you in the slightest. So you're telling me that Bilbo and Frodo are not the same person because <laughs> I have... Definitely always thought that was the case. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, all right. So I'll, I won't nerd out too much. Uh, Please. <laughs> right. Okay. We've opened that can of nerds. Uh, then you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> so so Tom Bombadil, who's featured in the books as a – Tom Bombadil exists in that zone of, of fictional characters that I call the, the Boba Fett zone. Uh, in, in beloved pieces of entertainment like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings – you notice how they're always like very minor characters who for right. some reason have abnormally large get a reaction from the fans. Right. And people just like love these characters even though you only see them for five minutes on screen. So Tom Bombadil, uh, I think for a lot of people, fills that role in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Tom Bombadil is this, this – I think he's just a guy. I think he's a straight he's, – he's, he's all human I think. He lives in the woods with his wife. And they, they go talk to him because he gets mentioned by, I think, Gandalf, where they said, we should go talk to Tom Bombadil. Tom Bombadil, there's this ring that everybody freaks out and they can't hold it and they get jealous and they get power hungry. And, like, they give him the ring. And I remember one point he actually takes his hand he's like, oh, cool ring. And he's, like, flipping. He, right. He's all, just not affected by he's it He's not at affected all. by it. And he just kind of – he's cool because, like, he could help them because he's the one person or one of the few people who, who feel no effects from this ring. So they try to recruit him on the journey. And he basically is, like – no, I have a good life because I live in the woods with my hot wife. Right. Why do I want to get involved in your – and he's he has this great carefree – he's just a really interesting guy in all this seriousness. He's very much like this kind of like – Nah, I'm good, right? man. Yeah, I'm yeah cool. no, totally. And, and, and in fact, it, 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 he's a very interesting character for that exact reason. But I think that Bilbo is still more admirable because he feels the – pull of the ring and is able to give it up okay which is to that say he desires the power but is is able strong to, enough to is say able i don't to say this is not okay. this is not for me i'm going to give this to somebody else it is true you're right that that certain people were not affected by the ring at all and thus move out of my power metaphor matrix <laughs> right no you're right you're right it, it takes more strength to say i do have an appeal for this i feel it but i'm going to to do the right thing and push it aside That's the uh the joke the you're looking for here listener is you can tell it's the off season because we're opening an episode with <laughs> 5 to 7 minutes of lord of the rings talk however it doesn't apply because <laughs> this is baltimoreans <laughs> <laughs> so here we are then on episode 111 meditating on the importance of giving up power voluntarily which brings us to the sticky question of Nelson Cruz. <laughs> now, I don't have much of a solution for Nelson Cruz. I'm not sure if we should pay him or not. He clearly has a lot of power. He's not going to duplicate the season he just had again for the Baltimore Orioles or ever again in his life. But in most of my life choices, 
I turn in difficult times to the texts of J.R.R. Tolkien. And so I feel like here on episode 111, we should give a very direct counsel to Dan Duquette and the Baltimore Orioles during this offseason, which is, of course, stay away from the Nazgul. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that's relevant somehow. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, <laughs> I think uh, I think anybody could could follow the logic that that Alan Smith has just laid out for you. Sure. Um, now the the logic that we'd like to ask you to follow uh, right now, as we move into the sort of beef of the program, is um, you know uh, baseball is a great game. It's it's fantastic. It it has it's steeped in legend. Uh, it has traditions that that give it a sort of holiness, a kind of an aura that I think we'd all agree is a huge part of its appeal. But even a rainbow. <laughs> Not sure where Land I'm going the plane. with that. Land the plane! <laughs> <laughs> what am I trying to say? Um, even Bilbo knew uh, that's not a good approach (laughs) you can't go down that road everything great could be greater so Hmm. with that in mind Hmm. uh we have invited nick here this evening to uh propose some ways that the great game of baseball could perhaps be improved um so he's going to share those with us and alan and i will provide some feedback on his ideas before he prevents presents them to uh major league baseball commissioner rob manfred um now, Whoa, that's weird. Yeah. It's weird to hear, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Adios, Mr. Selig. Yeah. Do we, are we technically leader? Are we rudderless at this moment? Do we, does he not come to I, power until Jan- the winter I've always meetings? heard January as the time when Bud steps down. So okay. That's, that's when the official passing. Okay, much push. like Congress. <clears throat> yeah, right. Bud's, Bud's in a lame duck at the moment. Yes. Um, <laughs> Which n- has been true for 12, 14 <laughs> years. <laughs> Now, uh, after after Nick pitches his ideas to us, we've also uh, solicited some suggestions from you, the very fine Baltimoreans, on Twitter, at BMorons is our handle there, and we're going to bounce those off Nick and see what he has to say about those. I got, I got a list, too. Don't worry. No. We've got, we got lots of ideas for how to improve the game that is otherwise unimprovable. Hmm. So, Nick, what do you think? How do we, how do we make this diamond shimmer even brighter? Well, like you said, uh, I, I want everyone to understand that what I'm proposing does come from a place of love. I'm not one of these <laughs> football fans who's always like, it's a slow game. I, I love baseball. It's steeped in lore. It's, it's, it's magical. It, it means the world to me. Um, now that I got those qualifiers out, I'm going to rub my nuts on baseball for a little bit. <laughs> um, so I have three ideas that I proposed that I thought of um, that I, I truly I truly believe in these. I didn't, I'm not being a contrarian. I didn't okay. come up with like the wackiest ideas. I I mostly believe. I understand. <laughs> I mostly they're 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 kernels of belief uh, couched in the idea that they're not practical and in no way would they get adopted. We're here because half baked ideas need a chance to shine and to be workshopped. So consider this a safe space where we we take these half baked ideas and 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 give them a full. Um, space to shine i want you to remember that in 10 minutes when you're saying get the <laughs> f out of Hootenanny studios you baseball uh you know villain <laughs> you nazgulian maniac <laughs> yeah, right. i should also say uh for the listeners uh nick has not told us 
anything about what he's going to say. Right. Uh, he was basically like, hey, I, I, can I come well, on the show I'm sometime? I'm pretty sure that they violate the Patriot Act. So <laughs> I didn't want to get hauled off before I could spew them out before I go to Guantanamo. Well, as Baltimoreans fans will know, we are big supporters of the Patriot Act around here. <laughs> sure. So. sure. So what I'd like to do uh, with your permission is uh, I will present each one of these ideas um, as if I were I can't even call myself commissioner because these ideas would require almost an Emperor Palpatine level of like supreme <laughs> overlord. Okay, okay. So I will present them and then I would like you guys to uh, – I'll go to, to you guys and you can give your feedback. And I think uh, if you could at first start off with the – let's go with a 0 to 10 scale. Okay. And the, the scale I want to use is the, the Rube Waddle scale. <laughs> Are you guys familiar with Rube Waddle? Oh, yeah. No. Okay. Real quick. I chose Rube because Rube is, by all accounts, the craziest character. Baseball's had some great characters, right? Sure. Uh, Doc Ellis threw a, a no-hitter on LSD. Yeah. The Yankees pitcher swapping wives, uh, Mark Fidrich, uh, Manny Ramirez. Baseball, lots of colorful characters. Rube Waddle is <laughs> a, a league apart. Uh, just real quick from his Wikipedia. Waddle was unpredictable. Early in his career, he left the mound mid-game to go fishing. <laughs> <laughs> he had a long-standing fascination with fire trucks and had run off the field to chase after them during games. During games. Okay, wait, hold on. He was easily distracted by opposing team's fans who used to hold up puppies and shiny objects, which seemed to put him in a trance on the mound. Um, this is kind of sad, but also funny. An alcoholic for much of his short adult life, he reportedly spent his entire first signing bonus on a drinking binge. The Sporting <laughs> News called him the Southpaw. Oh, wow. <laughs> like Southpaw, except Southpaw. <laughs> Cheeky Sporting News. Yeah, where yeah, where yeah. has that editorial yeah. voice gone in later years? <laughs> right? um, I think there was also a story I heard one time to where he was also a really good pitcher. Like, he used to strike out everybody. And one time he ordered all of his fielders to sit. He like wow. wouldn't pitch and he turned around. He's like, he wouldn't pitch until I think everybody actually like sat down Indian style and then he struck out the side. So they didn't <laughs> even need to be fielding. Wow. I may be making that up, but I'm pretty sure I read that. That's I would great. Uh, I would like to say that uh, I think Rube Waddell is uh, probably Adam Jones's favorite pitcher of all time <laughs> because Adam Jones routinely leaves the third base side batter's box to go fishing. Okay. Hey. <laughs> um, so this. So this, how does the scale work? Okay, though? so here's the, here's the scale. So we're gonna go from zero to ten rubes. Um, oh, okay. So when I go and I say, Alan, what do you think? You give it, you know, three rubes, seven rubes, ten rubes, and Got then it. you explain why. And then Sam. Um, so okay, to give you a point of reference, uh, zero is gonna be not crazy at all. Zero would be we should make efforts to speed up the pace of the game. Sure. So zero is an idea that's not crazy at all. It's a good idea, and you're like, ten would be. The ball should be square. Right. That's my example of just like what? Why? That doesn't even work. Why? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. You're trolling us at this point. Okay. Okay. So that's a zero to ten rubes. That's the scale we're going to use for craziness. Um, are you prepared for idea number one? Yes. Let's do I it. I think so. Okay. Uh, thanks for coming to this press conference uh, as supreme overlord of this great game uh, of Major League Baseball. I am instituting a new policy, effective immediately, in which I am banning managers from baseball. All decisions will be made via computer. The manager bot 3000 or NIM. 
uh, which stands for Nerd in Mother's Basement. We're going to give it a name because Manager Bot 3000 is scary to people. Uh, we're going to give it a name that plays on the fact that old school traditionalists think that numbers are for nerds. And so we're going to call them NIM. Wait, these ideas have already gone through like R&D? <laughs> <laughs> You're basically the final approval. They've been thoroughly researched. The um, marketing department was like... Uh, 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 test subjects do not <laughs> like decision bot 3000 <laughs> all right so so all decisions will be made via manager bot 3000 who will calculate situational effectiveness righty lefty splits and all decisions will be made via the numbers no more my gut tells me no more this is how uh, whitey herzog did it and all decisions will be made via computer um via nim by the way, if I don't receive a secret of NIM joke by the end of the show, I'll be <laughs> severely disappointed. Um, there will still be three assistants that input data into NIM that do things like figure out how a pitcher's feeling that day or maybe observe tiredness. But the uh, human beings will act merely as input data for the computer versus the computer acting as input data, uh, input data for the manager. Alan Smith, we'll start with you. Zero to ten rubes. I'm going to give this a four rube ranking. I think it is. Uh, I, I think it is, of course, as we were saying, completely implausible. But I like the the, the cleanliness of it. Um, I, I think that I have been trying to figure out for a while a way to put a number, a a a, a ranking, if you will, um, on the effectiveness of managers because as Fans of the Baltimore Orioles, of course, we need to defend to the death Buck Showalter and his ability to take a team that might not have been that good and make them better. Isn't, regardless, don't of, most people though agree that Buck is a very good manager? Yes. Isn't that the consensus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. he's a very good manager. So thus, we, I would say his intangibles are a large part of why I think the Orioles have been good for the last four years. So clearly, we'd have to figure out exactly how to metric the buckness of same and maybe give a tweak to the algorithm to improve the like we we need to keep the ability for Ned Yost to inexplicably take James Shields out of the sixth inning and insert a starting pitcher who had never come in in relief at all (laughs) and thrown 75 pitches the previous Sunday because that's fun. (laughs) Yost be Yostin So exactly exactly. So if we could have a random number generator In this system Which every so often for the Kansas City Royals Spit out just a terrible decision (laughs) And we all had to follow that decision anyway Then I'd be totally for it Like the Splenda of the human element (laughs) Not actually the human element But an algorithm that's like (laughs) human element like We're we're going to toss in this moment of Sugar pill every once in a while Completely bizarre decision making (laughs) process Just, just, Just for laughs Okay, four, then, four rubes. Then I like it. Four rubes. Sam Dingman. I'm, I'm going to give it uh, seven rubes. Okay. Um, no, sorry. I'm going to give it two rubes. I went in the wrong direction. Uh, because I actually don't think <laughs> it's as far away from reality <laughs> as we'd like it to be. I mean, I, I think when you read most baseball publications now, uh, it's, it's pretty clear when you listen to managers talk about anything that uh, it's difficult for them to... Um, form basic sentences, let alone <laughs> operate a piece of gadgetry. Billion-dollar corporation. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of managerial decision-making is still governed by their ability to kind of 
keep a lid on the clubhouse and motivate the ball players as men, you know, traveling together. And like even Buck Showalter does it, who we love so much. Buck's always talking about, well, he's he's a great man. He's a great husband, you know, and and which is nice to hear. But it's also kind of a <laughs> weird, outdated kind of hoary thing to say <laughs> anyway. Um, but increasingly, as we saw with the Dodgers this week, uh, making Farhan Zidi, who has an MBA from MIT, um, the general manager. And as we've seen in operation in Tampa for a long time, uh, this is increasingly the way that a lot of decisions are being made. And Joe Madden, the new manager of the Cubs, actually gave a very interesting interview to Fangraphs recently where he said, um, you cannot beat the shift. The, the shift is not a beatable thing. It, it is the triumph of mathematics and analysis over uh, human psyche. Um, and I'm paraphrasing him a little bit. It, he was less apocalyptic about it. <laughs> <laughs> he was less Skynet about the, about the shift. But okay. that's why he is a professional baseball manager and I am a podcaster. <laughs> can, can, we, can we take a moment to talk about Joe Madden for one second, though? Sure. Are we sure he's good? <laughs> because because i mean that's fair let's let's, let, let's look at the, the the realities of the tampa bay you know experience they had one exceptionally good season like one world beating season right and then they didn't win the world series in that season and beyond that he's been zany Hmm. And he gets a lot of headlines, and he certainly has figured out how to shift things around a lot. And he's certainly done a particularly good job of keeping a low-budget team in contention, right? He's taken a team that's not particularly a big spender and and made them pretty decent. But are we at all convinced that's going to translate to the Cubs, who seem to be, A, willing to spend money, and B, like kind of locked into the people who they want to start and know who they're going to play? Like, are we sure that his skill set translates to that situation in Chicago at all? No, we're not. And and, and you're right. And this and I, now let me elaborate on a little why I started off by kind of attacking the position of manager. Uh, <laughs> the, my I think my favorite thing that I got from Moneyball is there was a line in Moneyball, you know, in the book and in the movie when when they signed Scott Hatterberg and they wanted him to play first base because he's an on-base machine, even though he's never played first base, can't play first base. And then Art Howe, and I know this is probably different from real life, Art Howe doesn't want to play him, and the management says play him, don't play him. And I think it's a Sandy Alderson quote where he says, in what other business or what other industry would basically a mid-level manager decide the fate of a billion-dollar company? And that made so much sense to me. Right. If I were the GM of a team... And I had my my assistants, my executives, and my guys, and we're like, this is the strategy for our team. And then the manager sabotaged it by playing whatever. Unacceptable. It's like, <laughs> and, and I've really taken on, I, I think I always knew it, but when that was put into that context, I realized that these managers, we focus, I think the thing, it annoys me sometimes that we focus on them. And especially in this postseason, how many Ned Yo stories did you read? How many... We shouldn't be reading about managers. Uh, the situations in baseball should all have uh, backlogs of data that shows. And again, you're never you're playing the odds. They're percentages. So when you bring in you know a lefty who's 72 percent successful, you might be wrong sometimes. But I trust those numbers more than I trust. Well, I just my gut told me to go with a scoop over there. Like well, your gut doesn't mean anything to me. Like it's not, I don't believe in mysticism or the occult. So I want managers away. Cause I don't want to hear stories about managers. I want to be at the players and I want hard data 
more than I want, you know, folksy, gritty, tobacco spitting wisdom. I hate all that nonsense. Well, what but if there you, was a... But do you want more hipsters like Joe Madden? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I got off on a tangent. So your, your Joe Madden point, I think, I think, and tell me if you guys agree with me, the, the quickest way to make your name as a manager is to take over a team that's not very good and have them get good in your tenure. And that yes. can be because of you to a point, yes. but a lot of these situations, yep. managers come in right when prospects get called up or right. teams gel and also old managers are often fired after long losing seasons which usually means you've drafted well in that period of time sure. and that you have a better organizational depth that's sure. just a fact sure yeah. um you look at almost every joe tory who's a beloved figure in new york and he's an icon and you know by you <laughs> well you know i'm not i'm not a yankee fan but joe tory i think you know very good reputation people forget joe tory stunk in his previous did he just all of a sudden learn how to manage on his fourth try bill belichick not to step out of our beloved baseball uh people forget now bill belichick was the coach of the cleveland browns and was awful he was, he was terrible um so i a lot of what we consider good managers are guys who lucked i'd say lucked into but i think if you're smart you pick the situation um, yeah where now you I, can succeed but i do think that football is a slightly different well i won't go down that road I think coaches, head coaches in football are more significant oh, than absolutely. baseball managers. No, yes, Great. I agree. Before we leave Joe Madden, I do want to say very quickly, uh, how pissed off do you think Ryan Sandberg is right now? <laughs> because Ryan Sandberg was, re was ready to assume the mantle of major league manager. Ryan Sandberg, most beloved cub in yeah. a generation. Yeah. Uh, one of the best players they've ever... He's up there with like Ernie Banks in, in the minds of most Cubs fans. I think it's fair to say. Says he's ready to manage. Yep. Uh, <laughs> does, a, does a not terrible job. Well, but that's the thing. Won't, can't get the job in yeah. Chicago. Right. Gets passed over for Dale Swain. <laughs> then, so he's like, fine, I'll show you guys. I'm going to go manage the Phillies where they're willing to spend money. Right. That turns out to be the worst decision anyone has ever made. Yes. Dale Swain gets fired. Ryan Sandberg's like... Hey guys, <laughs> remember that whole remember yeah. that whole Philly thing? I I ain't mad. I, you know, come on. And they're like, nope, fuck you. Like legend in the city of Chicago, we're gonna hire Rick Renneria. Yeah. Ryan Sandberg's like, fine, fine. I see how it is. Now, third time, they're like, yeah, we're willing to change managers, but we're still not gonna go with you. Theo Epstein's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> better, better, better looking girl at uh, at the high school dance. I guess so. I um, guess so. So uh, again, yeah, you're right. I don't know. We we Joe Madden, very good reputation, but the Rays had a lot of high draft picks for a while. Yeah. Um. They're. I think they're. Well, you could also get into how good because their GM, who is now the well, he's president of baseball operations for the Dodgers, right? Andy yeah. Friedman. Mm -hmm. Um. They get a lot of credit. So. When you have all these pieces and parts of players, managers, GMs, it's hard to always say who gets the credit. Obviously, the players are definitely going to get the credit. But a lot of times, as a manager, you're just kind of on the wave of the decisions made by your GM. And again, that's that goes back to why I don't have a lot of tolerance to hear about managers. To me, they're just mid-level employees who just should be instituting the organizational philosophies of the ops department. Well, I, so I, I agree that I, I don't generally enjoy reading... Uh, stories about managers, uh, the way that they're written. But I will say we had uh, a guy named Pat Jordan on our show uh, earlier this season who, and Pat Jordan wrote a profile of Buck Walter for sports on earth that I will say 
without hesitation, was one of the best pieces of sports journalism that I've ever read. This this portrait that he paints of Buck Showalter is nothing like the sort of platitude-laced uh, post-game conference uh, that we see from Buck and from every other manager in baseball. It showed what he was like when he's at home with his wife. Uh, it included all of these sort of deep-cut anecdotes about players. For example, you know, the the story about him making the minor leaguer write a book report about uh, Frank Robinson when he didn't know who Frank Robinson was has become kind of apocryphal. But there's all these other things that he's done. For example, at one point, uh, Manny Machado was sort of holding court around his locker during the 2013 season when he it looked like he was the new face of baseball and buck was concerned he was getting a little bit too big of a head and so he came up to him right in the middle of a press conference and whispered in his ear and said do you want to be in a foxhole with any of these guys and then just walked away (laughs) like while manny's standing there with like microphones and like hot women right in front of him uh and then apparently after that, Manny Machado goes into Buck's office and says, like, I needed to hear that. Thanks. I, I really appreciate that. Nice. So I think I agree that the decisions that the managers are making, by and large, are the kind of middle management decisions, in ter- from a personnel standpoint, are the kind of middle management decisions that you're describing. But I think they're also doing a lot of stuff that we <clears throat> normally don't hear about. And I would like to hear more about those things because that would give me an appreciation for it that would sort of bring the whole picture into balance. Let me ask a quick related question. I'm curious because I was thinking about this today. How do you guys feel about when fans actively and aggressively call for managers, in this case, to be fired? And I was thinking about this because a bunch of Jets fans, I guess, chipped in a couple thousand dollars to buy a billboard saying fire the gentleman of the Jets. And I was thinking about this, and we're kind of used to this. Where General we, manager or, or Rex Ryan? No, it's John Idzik. It's Idzik, the, it's, interesting. It's the GM. So, and I started thinking about it. We get used to it because we get it so much in the mindset of, of talking about it. But these are real human beings with jobs. And I think about this, like, <laughs> I, I love Fire Joe Morgan. I used to read the site all the time. I, I ordered the shirt. Yeah. But then uh, once in a while, it would bring up to me, it's like, is it okay that I'm actively like I want this guy to lose his job? Is that <laughs> am I being too sensitive, or are they fair game to have like big campaigns of this guy sucks, fire him? Because they are human beings. They, I mean, this this is for me at least. I feel like this is a tricky question to answer because it 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 accesses two things that I get very emotional about. One is. Uh, people in this country who are paid exorbitant amounts of money to do childish things. Uh, and I sort of feel like if you are like a Hollywood celebrity or a pop star or a professional athlete or somebody who exists in kind of the aura of professional athletics, you have already made so much money. You have already been given such outsized gifts in comparison with the sacrifices that other people make all the time that go totally unheralded. You are due a certain amount of, of unfairness because life has been so generous to you that you're not entitled i don't think always to the same considerations that other people are at the same time nothing makes me more angry than the lack of nuance in the discourse in this country on every level um so when people are like you know what would solve the problem is if we just blew up <laughs> this one thing that I don't like and took it out of existence. Right, right. Um, and it's like, no, you don't know how it works. 
uh, and not to keep talking about fan graphs, I actually don't really like fan graphs very much. <laughs> um, but there was this great interview that they did with John Miller, who is my favorite broadcaster of all time. Yeah. Where uh, he was asked, you know, a lot of people loved when you were on Baseball Tonight with Joe Morgan, but they couldn't stand Joe Morgan. And I just wonder how you felt about that. And Joe Morgan was like, and uh, John Miller was like, listen, I understand that uh, Joe did not have quite the analytical approach that a lot of people who read this site um, would be interested in. However, you have to keep in mind that Joe played the game during a time when uh, if you were a rookie and you came up, um, you were going to get thrown at just because you're a rookie. You have to keep in mind that he played uh, in a city that was not particularly racially tolerant in the 60s and he was black. Uh, So you have to keep in mind that his pers- uh, perspective on the game was a lot more fueled by emotion than people now. Uh, he didn't have the luxury of removing emotion from the equation when he was coming up because so much of the decisions that he was making and were being made for him were coming from that place. So I think it's important for people to be mindful of that when they think about his analysis, which I don't necessarily agree with, but it did make me stop and go, Oh yeah, that's really interesting. You know, <laughs> so yeah. I mean, I, I guess I guess I would add only uh, I think they're both excellent points, and that is a very good pull and very good dichotomy. Um, I think that the only time where I feel really okay about it though is when it, it's about ownership. When when someone notices that an owner, which is a particularly odious position i find in most (laughs) professional sports because it has this strange like position of feeling like one person owns a bunch of other people and like it's a very strange dichotomy anyway many of whom are ethnic minorities usually these these people have made billions if not trillions of dollars and often to make a billion dollars in this country you have to have done it in slightly like (laughs) nefarious ways so all in all i feel like the ownership contingent is the one that i feel the best about um and i think that they also have the least to do with the functioning of the team right so an owner i know that a good owner i know that they're good owners and they're bad owners and they're owners who kind of let their people make decisions and owners who meddle a lot that is a real dichotomy but i also think that like Overall, ownership has very little to do with how the team runs, and it isn't like a big part of that process. So I feel especially like those people are fun to nail when that happens. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite... E.g. your Donald Sterlings, your your Peter Angelos. Yeah. One of the things that makes me the angriest about the whole like, wow, the Royals are so scrappy meme is... The guy who owns the Royals is the CEO <laughs> of Walmart. Right. That's the, like, the young upstart Walmart, the yeah, mom and pop shop. Yeah, the least scrappy organization <laughs> in the right. world. That's Walmart like, has no dirt on its uniform. Yeah. It is not grit and hustle. That's like being the king of gold. Like <laughs> the king of gold. You, th- that guy has so much money, and he has gotten it in such Nazgulian ways. <laughs> Yes. Did I do that right? Yes, yes you did. Okay. And I was actually going to ask Knocked before we move on to unpopular idea number two, if yeah. we could wrap up with a Lord of the Rings, maybe Sauron reference, but you <laughs> just read my mind and Nazgul did out of the park. All okay. right. So great. All right. Well, okay. Idea number one. Idea number two. Complete. Oh, bell ring. <laughs> yes. Exciting. Doc Ellis didn't think he was pitching that day back in 1970 When he and his 
wife took a trip to the ballpark a little bit differently. Uh, guys, I'm gonna warn you. We're only we're only going up in rubes from here. If you thought we're gonna get more sensible, we're not. So so the rubes are gonna increase. <clears throat> For my second policy as supreme overlord of baseball, from this moment forward, all ballparks will be of the exact same outfield dimensions. Oh no no all no! Ball- <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> well, the rubes are piling up. All outfields will be of the same dimensions, all walls will be of the same length, and there will be the same amount of foul territory in the field of play. Now, I am not one to uh, uh, put a damper on creativity, so if you want to put a flamingo tiki bar or whatever nonsense you Florida jabronis do in your outfield, that's fine. But the actual playing field of all baseball ballparks will be uniform. Sam Dingman, we'll start with you because you look like you're ready to sign off on this. I have no opinion. (laughs) Well, okay, so first I have a quick question about the Rube ranking system. Yes. Um, Can you go higher than 10? Because you look like you want to. Well, am am I saying, uh, uh, like, is a high ranking saying the idea is unreasonable or is it saying that I find the idea unreasonable? Because we'll I'm not a reasonable one. person. We'll go with the latter one. Okay. Well, I it's think it has to be personal because I'm, yeah. I'm aware that these ideas are not, cannot okay. be implemented. So it's more like how you feel. Okay. 67 rooms. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I think there's some some beautiful universeness to like, since Rube is crazy, not abiding by the system. There's something great about that. That's something Rube would do is like yeah, yeah, 80 yeah. bajillion <laughs> licorice rubes yeah. or something. You guys sit down. I'm going to strike out this argument. <laughs> Because I have said many times on this show that possibly my favorite thing about baseball is that there are no rules governing the dimensions of the outfield, the amount of foul territory, the height of the walls. But I I would like to defend why I say that. Okay. Because another thing that people have heard me say on this show before is that, like, I very much think of myself as a baseball fan and not a sports fan. I have very little interest or use for any other sports. Not saying other people shouldn't. It's just not my jam. Uh, But for me, the, the lack of regulations around the dimensions of the field, the height of the walls, the amount of foul territory... Um, the times of day when the games are played, uh, the lack of computerized umpiring, the lack of instant replay until Barry Obama made us have instant replay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Those are the things that make baseball special to me. Those are the things that make it stick out as the one that I resonate with because... I mean, whatever, being somebody who has felt for most of their life, like I'm the one who doesn't fit in. I'm the one who's off kilter. I'm the one who doesn't, is not able to make myself conform to the social strictures uh, that everybody else seems to be able to fit into. I have always liked the fact that baseball is like, no, we're going to do it this way because we just decided that this is the way it's going to be. And look, you love it. You love it, America. You love that we're doing this thing that has its own kind of internal logic, its own internal narrative. And, uh, you know, it's like listening to um, Bjork uh, for the first time and and saying, like, I should hate this. This is (laughs) nothing about this makes sense, but I love this. Um, And that to me is what's special about baseball. It's great that we entrust like fat men in blue suits 
to decide whether it's a ball or a strike when anyone who watches TV knows that we have a hypersensitive computer that can decide whether it's a ball or a strike. We have that technology and we've had it for years, but we're not going to get away from the guy with a worse point of view than the center field camera has squatting down behind another human being and with obstructed vision. We're going to have that guy decide whether it's a ball or a strike. That doesn't make any sense, but we can't lose that because then it's not baseball anymore. Then it's something closer to the like Uber sport that it seems like everybody wants us to have. So that's why I give it 67 rubes. <laughs> Um, Alan Smith, I'm not sure there are any rubes left in the vault now yeah. that 67 well, are used, but... then I'll go with zero. Yeah, I'll go with zero rubes. <laughs> I, think, I think it's a fantastic idea. No! Because the entire argument you just used is uh -huh. exactly Dan Snyder's argument for defending the name Washington Whoa! Redskins. Oh, this just oh, got no. heavy! <laughs> oh, what have I done? Uh, turn down for what? <laughs> I mean, look... You have to go take a shower. <laughs> In in terms in terms of uh, in terms of defending ridiculous things, um, I, I I actually do find that I like the weirdnesses of them, but I, I also find that I'm a little bit tired. The only thing that the, that the, that the stadium discussion actually engenders in me in this point is that I'm a little bit tired of fan bases making excuses based on stadiums. So I'm tired of this would have been a home run in X park. I'm tired of. Those numbers are inflated because of Y Park. The whole like ongoing discussion of like, well, these you know, it's a pitcher's park, so what he's doing isn't that impressive, or it's a hitter's park, so what he's doing isn't that impressive. Like, I I kind of that whole di dialogue bores me at this point. So I kind of just like to have that stop, <laughs> and so okay. that means putting everybody in the same parks in my mind, just so we can have that discussion go away because it, it bores me and it, it, it's not interesting. So. I would rather just say, hey, this person's doing very well or not doing very well. I don't think the parks make that much of a difference in who's doing that. I mean, I know the statistical probability that like well, – also, I'm not sure what we're going to do about Colorado in your scenario because elevation is going to be a problem regardless. Uh, we're going to refer to Sam's a... idea of I blow up things that are difficult <laughs> to me. So Colorado will be blown up. So I won't have to think about that. Great. Uh, so so with Colorado out of the equation, then this gets even easier. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Congratulations on Hickenlooper. But, um, the, <laughs> uh, Google it. <laughs> um, that, 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 that the discussion, you know, isn't that significant and doesn't change the game all that much. And so, in fact, people who are having fantastic seasons are still having fantastic seasons. And I don't think that, like, Park should detract as much as it does from people's discussion of like whether or not Nelson Cruz is great. I would like to state for the record that uh, railing against computerized strike zones because they make me feel like a special snowflake <laughs> is different than having a glib attitudes towards the ethnic cleansing of an entire race of human beings. I would just like to say that I feel that those... that. Those things are not the same. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. It was only the rhetoric that you were using. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, Sam, much like Saruman and Gandalf <laughs> having their debate, we seem to be at odds. You like how I shoehorn that in there? <laughs> Very nice. Very um, nice. All those things that you mentioned, such as you know the the human imperfections, 
Um, and I, I'm well aware at this point I'm coming off as the president of the Rise of the Machines. <laughs> well, I, I was going to – since okay, we've done Terminator. We've done Lord of the Rings. I was actually going to bring it to 80s uh, outcast movies and say, like, if we're in Revenge of the Nerds, I'm the preppy – follow the rules fraternity and you're like hey man baseball is all about individualism and i'm like you need to conform so i'm well aware i'm playing that role i hate all the stuff that you said i hate the fact that that game seven ninth inning could be determined and somebody could throw a strike that's clearly a strike and the the dummy behind the play could call it a ball whether you go back to the the perfect game that wasn't i don't want players if you can get it right you have to all right i, I respect your opinion but I'm, I'm totally – if you can eliminate – if they had a computer that could do balls and strikes, I'd be – you know, I'd, I would drive that computer to the ballpark. Um, but anyway, to go back – sorry. So this – but all my ideas you'll, you'll – The you'll, problem all along has been locomotion. We had the whole technology. <laughs> just no one would fucking pick the thing up. How do we get it to the ballpark? It's so big. Um, all my ideas you'll notice – and I maybe picked up on this, but this will continue. All my ideas are based on the fact and I, that I am unabashedly – I am that guy – who loves statistics and, and fairness and probability and all that stuff in baseball. Now the, the, the Scott old Magnus will be very happy with Nick stances. <laughs> <laughs> now the, the old hat wearing sports writers, I am, I am the guy that they refer to as they like to paint it as if I don't love baseball and I want to turn baseball into a math class. All this comes out of love. You, I don't, it's strange to me when these people say that 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 the guys who started all these wonderful websites and do this in-depth analysis don't love baseball because you know they might get jobs at some point but initially you're not doing you're not getting paid you're doing it because you love this thing and you want to explore it deeper um so all this comes out of love i don't want to turn baseball into but i want it to be about the players performing i don't want variables like especially you know we all saw that that ball went over the bag yet the umpire messed it up if you can get it right you have to get it right so anyway back back to the the ballpark size thing it's like alan said it drives me nuts that guys in Colorado for years had these absurd stats because their ballpark hmm. played in a – and it's just – and no other sport does this. Could you imagine like, well, it's the Pistons and the Mad- – in Orlando, they play with 11-foot hoops. Like you, you can't do that. And I understand in baseball you can, but it drives me nuts. And what's with that hill in Houston? Who like, – like, that guy should be sued for assault. If my center field is running back to track a ball and has to run up a hill and sprains his knee – Tal's Hill. You, right. you know what I'm talking oh, about, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> assault. Right. That guy. I want him arraigned for assault for damaging center fielder's knees. But I, and not to. And I know we need to move on. But but just to, to say, like, this is basically from what I'm hearing, kind of tantamount to an argument for like Tropicana Field as like Ooh, the ultimate ballpark. Touche, climate salesman. controlled. There's not really anything weird about the dimensions. <laughs> You know, yeah, there's like rays swimming around in a pond over the center field wall, but like it's impossible to have a rain out. The only real issue is that sometimes foul balls end up hitting that catwalk right. up there. Yeah, Chris Davis it. got a home run out of that at one point. Um, so I, that that bothers me a little bit. Also, I do feel like, and I can't pull the article right now, <laughs> but I do feel like there has been some scholarship around the fact that all those inflated numbers in Colorado, where everybody was like, we got to put a humidor in here. Wow, we're just so up high in the mountains. It's like, no, it was steroids. It was like <laughs> Andres Galarraga and him and, you Mini know, Castillo. Dante Bichette were just passing it around. Pass around Not the that they were piss. alone, but like you put all those guys in the same lineup and, you know, maybe the, the climate plays a role. Eh. 
Well, I, it, it does. Um, we know there's a home field advantage for the Denver Broncos because they just try to run as many plays as they can in football. So they know that everyone's going to, the opposing defense is going to get more tired than they're used to sure. because they have to sure. run them at high altitudes. Comedians will tell you that they hate going to com- performing in comedy clubs in Colorado because people get drunk faster because of the altitude. And so they heckle more. Oh, interesting. Huh. Um, of course, these days they're probably a little bit more mm. mellow. Um, but, uh, yeah. Well, this days they sh- there should be fleeing so they're about to blow their fucking state up. <laughs> Um, I, I do though, I I think an interesting question that this points at is like, do you, let's just stick with baseball instead of all sports for the moment. Um, cause I don't know anything about any other sports. Uh, (laughs) do you watch baseball because, uh, it brings order to your otherwise chaotic life. And so the inconsistencies around dimensions, strike zone, all these things we've been talking about interfere with that kind of salve property or do you watch baseball, and I would obviously put myself more in this category, because it makes you feel okay about the chaos and lack of order in your life. It, it's more like a stream that you can enter that's governed by different rules. Uh, I guess for me, the reason that I like and watch baseball has to do with the narrative and the history, which is actually a pretty good argument for keeping the green monster and for keeping sort of the weirdnesses of, of, of certain eccentric stadiums, because I like, you know, the thing that I do like about baseball is that over 162 games, you get a, a, a story about a team that is more complete and more nuanced than any other group. Um, I should have mentioned, Alan, I apologize, but these policies have already been instituted. I, mm. I lured you all here to this mm. conference so you wouldn't be able to see. The Green Monster is now being it's turned into mattress tr- foam. So sorry, gone. Alan. Ah, well. But you too can take home <laughs> a king-size Green Monster bed for only $8,000. I'm aware I probably sound like the most unfun, rigid, just guy right now. And I, I don't know. I was going to say it, but I'm not. Maybe I am. Um, <laughs> Number three. <laughs> Yeah, moving on. <laughs> um, yeah, let's okay. So let's move on. Okay, so number three. Well, wait, wait, no, I'm curious to know the answer. Like, do you think you 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 are drawn to baseball because it creates order or because it indulges a lack of order? I, I mean, if if you dug deep enough, and I'm not smart enough to analyze myself to this level, there there might be. I, I mean, I, I love baseball for a lot of reasons, and I don't. I love the weird stuff that happens in baseball. I love knowing facts. I love, you know, again, that a pitcher threw a, a no-hitter on LSD, allegedly. I, I love the I love that Randy Johnson, well, I don't love it for the bird that he hit. <laughs> but I, lo- I love the weirdness of baseball. It's not, I don't want robots going out orderly. I love the craziness of baseball. It just bugs me that they don't all play, that's like the right field porch in Yankee Stadium. Just, it really annoys me. <laughs> like the playoffs three years ago, two years, three years ago, I think it was the ALCS, I mean, it was Division Series. Josh Hamilton lunged for a pitch, fended it off, and it went over the fence. <laughs> and I, I literally almost quit baseball. This is a pop fly that's a home run. And I'm like, somebody fix that effing stadium. Yeah. Like, it's – and and I don't – this isn't against the Yankees. Because credit to them. They know they have this ridiculously short right field porch. So the Yankees have traditionally built a team to take advantage of that, as they should. Right. Smart. But it just – I don't know why it it just bugs me. It's just I, mm-hmm. so it's it's actually more for, for for you then. It's more of a question of uh, of of the cosmic justice narrative of sports. Yes, that's a huge part of it. Also, and I just kind of realized this. 
to bring it to my own personal <laughs> level, so the team that I root for, which does a lot of things that make you scratch your head, one of the ones that just gets me in recent years. So we built a new ballpark that opened in 2009. And they they said this when they built the ballpark, which was our, our emphasis, was we wanted to build a park that rewarded uh, pitching and defense. Because the Mets traditionally, the, if you look at the teams that were successful, the Mets had great pitching and defense. We haven't had a lot of sluggers. Um, it's funny, if you look at the Bronx, the other team in New York, uh, they've had a lot, you know, they're the, the, the Bronx Bombers. They're not the Bronx Flamethrowers. So the Yankees have always had a lot of great hitters. Uh, the Mets, when they've been skilled by pitchers. So they wanted to build a park to continue in that vein of pitching and defense. Again, whatever. I'm I'm a firm believer. Build a neutral park. Don't spook your pitchers. Don't spook your Build a neutral <laughs> park. But anyway, so they built this park. And at the time, the Mets' best player and future was like 24-year-old David Wright. All of David Wright's power was to right center field. <laughs> City Field has something called the Mo Zone, which might have been called the David Wright Hall of Fame Killer Zone, <laughs> because that's exactly where David Wright's sweet spot is. And it's almost like an FU. Like if you look at the park, it's like built, 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 and you come like from left field to, to center, and then in right field, right where David Wright hits it, they just jut it out like twenty <laughs> feet, just to be like it's almost like like a middle finger to your best player. And I'm just like, who would do this? It really is the reverse of the shift, though, right? Like anybody who had any sort of ability to track where David Wright's home runs went should have seen that. Correct. Okay. Right. So part of this is probably fostered, but I think I had this before. But just doing that just makes me think it shouldn't be an issue of, of you know, some pitcher doesn't want to come to your team because he doesn't want to pitch in, in Philly because it's a band box. I just – just make it neutral. Uh, uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's half it's – half, um, what did you say? You, you pin it on the head. Justice. Yeah, like uh, number-based uh, fairness, justice, equality, and part of it is personal – my team can't even build a ballpark correctly. <laughs> Where does our best hitter hit it? Over there? Let's make it really far. What? Uh, so, yeah. So I, still think, I still think you're on the payroll uh, of the Tropicana Juice Corporation. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, have you been getting enough vitamin C lately? <laughs> on the take from Big Juice. Big, big Juice. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So, uh, 67 ropes players, to zero. Isn't that a baseball player's nickname from the 70s? Big Juice. Big Juice. <laughs> <laughs> Big juice. Um, I would like to, if we did a it's graph Andres so Galarraga's far. nickname. <laughs> <laughs> so we started out at, at four rubes and seven rubes, so a right. three rube uh, difference. We have now skewed to 67 to zero. Yeah, I'm so, sorry right. about that. I escalated. No, 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 don't be sorry. <laughs> I could have just said 12. No. This, this escalated quickly. <laughs> no. Pitching today. Taking the mound, the ground turned down to the ice and on a birthday cake. The leadoff man came up and turned into a dancing rattlesnake. The crowd tracked back and forth in waves of color underneath the sun. That ball turned into a silver bullet, his arm into a gun. I took a look all around the world one time. I finally discovered you can't judge a bird. Okay, so um, the third and final policy that I'm inst- thank you, uh, the third and final policy that I'm instituting as supreme overlord of baseball, fellas. This is you might want to. Are you okay? You're I'm, I'm sitting still down. sitting down. <laughs> I'm eliminating the postseason. There will, be, there will be no playoffs. There will be no World Series. We're taking a cue from our friends across the pond who play football. We should start with Alan on this one. Okay, we will start with Alan. 
Um, so it'll just be the law. I'll give you a little bit of logic. I won't go full into it. I want to get your Rube take. What can you figure out in a seven game series that 162 games will not tell you? We get a full season of sample size. If we want the truest representation of who the best team is again, this postseason illustrates my point. Cause I think, and, and I, I'm well aware Giants fans and Royals fans hate this. Sure. Um, but when you sure. say, you know, maybe the teams that are in the World Series aren't really the two best teams in 2014. <laughs> hey, you're a Giants fan or whatever. <laughs> There's ample evidence that these two teams were not the best teams. Based sure. on the fact they ended up in a one-game playoff, which is, as we know, kind of a crapshoot. So the way I'm eliminating all this, uh, just like the, the table, as they call it in the EPL, you play a whole season, the team with the best record is the champion. Alan so Smith. I'm going to give this uh, a, a negative two rules oh! <laughs> <laughs> because I uh, <clears throat> I suggested this exact thing on the podcast last week, in fact. So I'll basically be restating what I said 15 minutes ago in your ear holes, which is <laughs> that I, I fundamentally totally agree. I think that baseball for a long time made its bones on the fact that it was the professional sport in America where the best teams survived the trial by fire that was the 162-game season, and now we have lost something in that sort of moment. What I would do is exactly what the EPL does, which is to say the 162 games is the most prestigious championship of the year. But we also can hold on to some of that March Madness craziness by introducing a series of important but not the most prestigious trophies that happen over the course of the year in tournament-based play. FA Cup and something exactly, like that. Exactly, exactly. And I really like the idea if then we could then integrate a, a, a methodology for a Champions League, which would allow American League players and beginning to compete with international baseball players. I think that that would be a way to kind of bring back around the 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 winter, you know, thing that no one really takes seriously when, uh, you know, Japan and South Africa play a game and Japan wins by seventy four runs, and <laughs> it's like, well, why are we doing this again? I'm not exactly sure what's going on here. <laughs> if you could get sort of a Champions League system going that would elevate that in weird one off tournament style play, which had some sort of prestige, then I think you'd have a very interesting combination of the two. I love the idea. Also, we should be relegating teams. Sure. Into the Independence League with you, Astros. <laughs> be <laughs> gone! The major league with you, Sugarland Skeeters, or whatever you're called. Yeah. Right. St. Yeah. Paul Saints. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, a, there's, a, there's a game every year, which is sort of like near the end of the EPL season, which is the game for relegation. And, it, you know, you always know, like, maybe with one or two games left in the year, and it's one of the most intense games that happens in the soccer game in, in, in the entire season because the difference between being an EPL premiership team and being in the first division sure, is huge. about 50 million pounds a year. And so the game to go, the game where you're going to get promoted, is like the, everyone is just playing out of their gourds because if they get promoted, they all get fat. Checks. <laughs> they get so much money. Right. So they are like they are playing just bonkers to make it that jump up. And then usually they only last for a season or two because they can't compete with Chelsea and Arsenal. But like right. that's okay. Well, and also for a game that supposedly <laughs> loves narrative underdog. Wait, wait, Sam Dingman, my arch nemesis. You haven't you haven't hit me with your absurd amount of 144 gross rubes or whatever unit of <laughs> a mole of rubes or something. 
<laughs> well, this actually is a, is in agreement with what you guys are talking about because you know baseball loves underdog narratives. Yeah. Even when they're bullshit, the Royals are owned by the CEO <laughs> of Walmart. They're not an underdog in any way, shape, or form. Anyway, uh, they wanted to keep James Shields. The guy who owns the team could write a check that he wouldn't even notice, <laughs> and James Shields they could give James Shields a fifty-year contract. <laughs> They could pay for all of James Shields' kids to go to Oxford twice. <laughs> right. Jesus Christ, it's so dumb. Okay. Uh, the thing For a sport that supposedly loves underdog narratives so much, there's something really great about the idea of like, okay, Phillies, you know what? You insist on paying Jonathan Papelbon $15 million a year to close for a non-contending team. You know, you're out. You don't get to be in the NL East anymore. Yeah. Instead, the Long Island Ducks get one season in the sun. Sure. Let's see what they do. Sure. Yeah. You know, or and, and like, I, and I love that too because I, I really like. I think that this isn't. It doesn't happen in baseball in quite the same way. But you know, by the by, the last three months, well, we're Orioles fans. You're Mets fan. You understand. In the last month of baseball, usually your team is playing meaningless games. Usually, you're just playing out the string. It's even worse over in professional basketball. Because they have this reverse screwed up incentive system where if you know you're not going to make the playoffs, you just tank for the second half of the season to get the best possible draft pick. Somewhat happens in the NFL, but your sample size is smaller. But like this Philadelphia to 76ers have been atrocious at basketball for the last Sam, three years. Sam, you can go get some sandwiches and come back and... <laughs> like, really bad. Does Frodo Baggins play for them? <laughs> <laughs> Right. There's a guy named Nerlens Noel, which I sort of sound, think sounds like Bilbo Baggins <laughs> in its own way. <laughs> uh, except for he's like a seven-foot, <laughs> incredibly <laughs> graceful, beautiful man. But whatever. Uh, they've been bad for like three years, and everybody agrees they're doing the right thing. Like, yes, there's 17 people will attend the 76ers games these years, but what they're trying to do is they're trying to bottom out, get good draft picks for three years, and then make a run at a title. And that's the only way that they can do it in this weird system. If they had to avoid a, a, a another team pushing them from the bottom to kind of knock them out of the way, they would never be able to tank like this. And we have a much more interesting, and I think, competitive sports process. There's something, you know, these ideas are, I know they're very silly, but something that really legitimately bothers me and, and, and it's happened in recent years and I wish we'd get away from is the devaluing of the regular season. And this happens in all sports. You guys probably remember, I know when I was a kid, do you remember when winning the pennant was a big thing? Oh yeah. yeah. Like Huge we, deal. We, we got it to a point and then was like, you're a kid, like my dad, my grandpa, like, you know, oh, my team won the pennant. I mean, other than like a, 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 a path of less resistance in the playoffs, Fans don't really care if you get nope. in the playoffs now. But like when we were a kid, like winning the division was like the thing. And this speaks to a, a larger thing, which is now that uh, with a lot of fans in a lot of sports, baseball and, and definitely football and basketball and hockey, with a lot of fans, it's it's championship or nothing. So we'll tank because we want a team. And I think I think what gets lost a lot of times is the cost and the expense of taking a family to a, a meaningless game in uh, you know August. To that family who might only be able to spend four hundred dollars once, that's important. Like you see this, baseball. Baseball, you have to rest your players. I understand. You know, uh, David Wright's not going to play every game. Manny Machado's not going to play every game. But a lot of times, no, I've, he's not. No, oh God, I, I mean that's a bad example. I apologize. Um, but a lot of times, I see things with like uh, in basketball and football where they rest. They've rested players a lot because the idea is we want them to be fresh for the playoffs. And I get that. And it's your job to the best playoff team. But I think we've gotten to the point where we're selling out the regular season and the idea that 
fans do come out and that might be their only game. So let's stop treating the regular season as just a nice, okay, we kind of care, we sort of don't. But if we don't, it's about winning a championship. It's like, I hate to get like hippie, dippy, whatever about it. No offense, but um, <laughs> but there is a little bit of something, dude. dude it's fine. Like your your energy is so great. You know, it's cool. I um I, I think we need to get back to the point of we treat the journeys part of the thing. So the regular season, we need to treat those games as valuable commodities, and for the the fans who watch the games and attend, should be treated with as good of a product as you could put out. Does that make yeah? Sense? And I think you can keep that and still have a World Series. I think you can keep that. I think you just have to reorder the sort of significance of those things. Like if you do the World Series three times, you do it right after spring ta- spring training, you do it right around the All-Star break, and you do it right after the season. And you have all three of those be four teams that are decided by some you know, division standings at those moments, and those teams play like three-game series and have like a, a, a title. You know, you have a moment, you get to raise a trophy, that's great. But in fact, the one that actually matters is the run through 162. I think you can get to both places. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Sam Dingman hasn't provided a Rube number, <laughs> but he does have his TI graphing calculator, and it does say E to the something power. So he's still calculating the number of Rubes for this crazy idea. No, I, I'm only going to give it, I'm going to say six and a half Rubes. Okay. okay. Um, because I agree that the playoff system in baseball is broken. Um, I think in particular, since we instituted this whole one game playoff nonsense, we have really sort of jumped the shark in terms of trumped up postseason drama. Um, and I think this year was maybe the greatest indication of it at all, as long as we're dumping on Royals and San Francisco <laughs> fans, like I'll just join the pile on. Um, I, I think, you know, it, it was an exciting world series from a two baseball teams playing competitive baseball standpoint, but from the standpoint of the teams that we thought there was the most to be excited about all season long and the the talents that we wanted to see locked in high-stakes combat at the very end of the season, we didn't get to see any of that because of this weird structure that we've instituted that lets in teams who maybe don't really deserve <laughs> to be there. Um, however... I do think that there is value in because we do have uh, a structure in baseball where the two leagues play with different rules, which I know Nick hates. <laughs> I do. Um, I do hate that. Uh, I'm talking about the designated hitter, obviously. Um, so, and with the increased prevalence of interleague play, this is somewhat less of a thing, but it, it's still a pretty important factor. I do think that there is a fundamental value in the postseason in American League versus National League. Who's going to win? Uh, like monster offense and strikeouts, or uh, slap hitters and defense and very strong rotations. Those are maybe sort of outmoded descriptions of the American League and National League, respectively. But there is there's an appeal in that drama. There's an appeal in a sort of like one boxer is all might and the other one is all footwork. And we're gonna get to to see this face off after a year of of um after a year of teams on either side establishing themselves i think there's also an appeal if you're an american league fan um it's like you know the mysteries of the orient or something when a national league team comes <laughs> into town for a high stakes game you're like what is this they do things differently here mm-hmm. like 
what how do, how do i understand like what uh the pin, the pitcher just automatically bunts why is that oh that's actually very effective or um sometimes they'll bat the pitcher eighth because then it's like giving themselves an extra at bat in the nine hole you know there's all these other different strategic things your bullpens are more important there's a lot of really great kind of granular intrigue there that i think would get washed away by doing away with the postseason um additionally I also think that there is kind of something to uh, seeing if a team like the Tigers, say, who this year were, they obviously did not coast to the division title, but they were playing in a weak enough division that they didn't have to, their weaknesses were not exposed over the course of the 162 game season. But everybody knew all season long that their bullpen was a glaring weakness. And so there's something very gratifying, and not just because I'm an Orioles fan, there's something very gratifying about saying, okay, Tigers, supposed first place team, what happens when we put you in a situation where you're not gonna be able to get away with having a weak bullpen? Are you going to be able to manage around it? Are you going to be able to play around it? Are you, are you going to be able to pitch around it? Or no, is this a situation where we're going to say among these first place teams, one is clearly superior? And I, I think there's an appeal there too. What? So I don't think that uh, I don't think that we should keep the playoff structure the way it is. Particularly the one game playoff, I think, is an invented drama that does nothing for the good of the sport. Um, but I. I don't want to get rid of the postseason altogether. And also, I will say, you know, as much as I hate the Yankees, I am a sucker for... There's a line in... Um, we were talking about Joe Torre before. There's a, a line in that Tom Verducci book, The Yankee Years, that's... Uh, I mean, it's Joe Torre technically wrote it, but it's like as told to Tom Verducci. Did you read it? Uh, I did. I did uh, in a moment of self-flagellation. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a line where somebody said, uh, Derek Jeter says to somebody uh, who's in the playoffs in the Bronx for the first time, you just got to keep the game close until the end and then the ghosts come out. And I get chills just saying that. Now I got chills when I read it. I got chills saying it just now. That is a part of the sort of magic of baseball that, you know, it, that only exists because of the postseason. I will, just the last thing I will say, the fact that we call it the World Series is absurd. <laughs> it should be called something else. Yeah. Like, that's the one thing I will say football has on baseball is Super Bowl is a much cooler and more accurate name than <laughs> World Series. True. It's like when Mary and Pippin leave the Shire. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I can tie that into Lord of the Rings. Um, uh, so. There will come a day when the strength of men fails. <laughs> right. Right. But it is not this day um, where the strength of the playoffs fail. I would like to thank you, gentlemen, for coming to this press conference. Um, <laughs> if you will now stare at the projector and the red and white spiral that's going around, I'm sure you will find my ideas to be totally. Logical. Very appealing. <laughs> Especially you, Dingman. <laughs> Stare at the spiral, Dingman. <laughs> All right, well... So the things that I want to fix... <laughs> okay. Oh, right, right, right. Have, ...have less to do with the overall functioning of the game. I'm a little bit more concerned with the fan experience. Now, I don't get to go to as many games at Orioles Park at Camden Yards as I would like. I often find myself going to Yankees games when the Orioles are in town or to Mets games when someone gives me a ticket. 
such as the reality of being an expatriate fan in a city which is not necessarily my own. But I have an opportunity then to observe the fan experience from a little bit more of a of an anthropological, hmm. not caught up in the 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 romance of the system in the same way. And I have a question about concessions, which is <laughs> <laughs> fundamentally, is there any other place in the world that you can possibly imagine where you pay more for less? Well, I, I always lump in um, ballpark concessions with two other events, which is um, airports to a degree yeah. and concerts, which are often held in kind of the same similar venues. Captive audience Anytime, right, you get people right. in a place and you can gouge them, which I think, I know gouge is a pretty harsh word, but no, 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 getting a 10, 10, 1075 for a small <laughs> beer. It's a gouging. It's, it's gouging. But on top of that. If you go to a if you go to the Yankee Stadium and you go to the newly redefined like super state of the art, they talk about the food all the time at Yankee Stadium and you go up and you try to order a sausage. It takes them 15 minutes to give you that sausage. <laughs> in what possible world does it take 15 minutes to make a sausage? I can make it in three. <laughs> are, you, are you talking about the lines or just if, like, if you were the only person, it, the preparation? If, like, it, you, you will be three people back in line and it will take the people behind. It will take the entire experience 15 to 20 minutes to work its way through. Okay. And that just has no bearing on reality to me. Concession stands are always – just putting another set of hot dogs on the grill. They're always out of the thing that you want. It's like the lowest functioning thing ever, but at the same time, it's the highest price ever. So my idea to fix this would be very simple. You just put solar-powered microwaves under every single seat. <laughs> so that when you get, to the sta- you get to the stadium, you can you know have a hot dog ready to go. They can probably afford that in ticket prices without that much of a problem. Can I give this zero Mo Vons? <laughs> Is Zero that- Prince Fielders. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mo. Uh, Solar-powered microwaves. Wait, under the seats? Yeah. How would they... You could put the panels in the in the armrests. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so your idea... You still can't bring in your own food. No, no. They, you, you, could, you could go buy all the things there, but you could either have them cook it for you, or you could just go take it back to your seat and microwave it. Well, and what was the, what was the craft beer idea you had? Oh, okay. This is an even more serious... This, this is a is, more serious concern. I don't understand... How this isn't a thing. Okay. <laughs> Especially in, in in the... We are currently in, I would think it's fair to say, the golden age of beer in America. We, okay. are, we are in a moment when, uh, you know, everybody knows, post-prohibition, <laughs> we came back and all the beer was bought up by four people and Budweiser ruled the rest of American beer history until about 15 years ago when it became suddenly marketable and possible for craft beer to take over. Sure. Beer is much better now than it's ever been before. In New York City... There are so many places where you can buy excellent beer that we are, uh, frankly, becoming completely spoiled. And yet, craft beer is a thing at baseball games which is ghettoized <laughs> and put into one or two very small places that are tucked beyond other places and that are out of sight and out of mind. Why? And it's not craft beer. They're like, here at the craft beer stand, we, we have, have Sierra Nevada. Nevada. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> like... And, 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 okay, so if you're a local Brooklyn-based brewery, of which I can think of six off the top of my head right now, who are doing good business but are not necessarily, like, you know, able to provide for their families quite the way that they would like to, you give them a three-game run at Yankee Stadium, they are tripling their beer sales 
for the year. And you're keeping all of that money in the Bronx and or Brooklyn where it was otherwise going to be. It's a win-win-win. People get to drink better beer. They get exposure to a local product. And the local artisan gets a chance to succeed. Well, I, I think if you're, if you're asking – if you honestly want to know the reason why, I think it's because <laughs> – Corporate. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. Like you said, Budweiser has had their, their you know hands, uh, you know, the relationship. I mean – for God's sakes, one of our baseball stadiums is Bush Stadium, right? Is yeah, 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 yeah. So, we also have Miller Park. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. So that's true. So the so the big boys, they're certainly not going to willingly stop dominating uh, with the signs a gouge market. Um, so if you're asking from like, a stadium perspective, I mean, I'm sure it's beneficial for them too to have you know these, these keep these deals partnerships. But uh, I certainly agree from the fan perspective and from the local community. Uh, you know, no, it's a no brainer. Sure. As of I, th- I think it's like the 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 four week four weeks before the season they release the sort of like uh, promotions for yes. the year. You know, yeah, you're gonna, you're the right. bobblehead night's gonna be this night, floppy hat night's gonna be that night, fireworks. If you had three craft beer nights on your calendar, would you not, as a season ticket holder, circle those three nights and be like, oh, I'm hitting that one? Well, what, so, all right. So what is what happens at craft beer night? Uh, it is all of the beer is given over to craft beers from the local area, and you, instead of a bobblehead when you walk in, are just given a mug. Oh, sure. <laughs> I am yeah. so excited just hearing about this. Yeah, I, I give this zero David Wells. <laughs> Did I pick the right unit of measurement? I'm trying to think of great baseball drinkers. Right. Uh, Mickey Mantle. Yeah. yeah, Mickey Mantle. Yeah, you can make yeah. almost any old ball player. Yeah, exactly. Because you know if it's David Wells, he comes in with like dead mouse in his headphones <laughs> and is like, can I just get a cranberry and tonic? <laughs> <laughs> David Wells, zing! Uh, the, the last thing I would say in terms of my half-baked ideas is that it, 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 it's gonna it's gonna continue to distance me from the actual baseball fans of the world because I am once again going to reference EPL soccer and the ability for those fans to somehow manage to stand and sing for the entire game. <laughs> so I think what we should do is we should very simply put designated areas. Uh, I, I think probably that certain tickets we know are, are too expensive for real fans to be able to get to. I think that there should be certain areas of the stadium, maybe like you give over part of the third base line or part of the first base line to standing room only areas where you are encouraged to bring musical instruments. And if you stop singing, you're kicked out. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to give that zero Enrico Palazzo. <laughs> Does anybody remember that reference? Or is that is that reference totally lost? I Sam, I don't. I Alan? wish. I wish I could pull. Ah, oh, the naked gun when Leslie Nielsen sneaks oh, in the game and he's the umpire. Nice. Thank you. Very nice. And he sings the anthem. It's great because he's like, lots of bombs in the air. <laughs> he doesn't even know the words. Uh, I was trying to think of like a famous baseball singer. And I came up with Enrico Palazzo. That works for me. That works for me. I like the the rigidness of just like if you stop singing, it's very militaristic. <laughs> it's it's like I, I just need to get breath. No, no, you, you're <laughs> yeah, done. It, well, you you're know, gone. it's like it's like either you pay. $500 to sit too close to this thing or you pay 20 bucks and you sing the entire time. <laughs> Sam, have you ever seen this? Have you ever seen like at at, uh, at Anfield where Liverpool plays, there's like 60,000 people arm in arm singing yes. You Will Never Walk Alone. Yes. It's oh. amazing, right? bumps every it's, time I got to do this. Yeah. What's the team? Uh, I, I should know this. What's the team who sings the Blowing Bubbles song? Oh, that, that, I don't know. There's 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 two songs, Never Walk Alone, and then there's like a song about blowing bubbles, <laughs> which is like this 60 an- 60s anthem. I don't remember the team, but watching all of these like 
grizzled, hard-ass soccer hooligans <laughs> join arms, sway back and forth, and sing about yeah. blowing bubbles. That's, that's the amazing so thing. Good. It's not because it's it's not like they're singing like like Metallica. They're not singing no, like very not aggressive. Hardcore songs like at a lot all. of these songs are like Sondheim Broadway songs. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what makes it so great. If they were like, singing like very aggressive jerky songs, I'd be like, the ah, okay. All creases of like disappear from their faces. They're like the grimaces disappear, and then it's over, and they're. They'll kick your ass. <laughs> right. Like they're right back into it. They're right. like, "Fuck you." You know yeah. what it sounds like to me? It sounds like their love of the sport allows them to indulge the lack of order in their lives, <laughs> and that's the appeal for them. Could could be. That could be. True. Or they just want to get in touch with the Sondheim and every one of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, Nick, while we have you here, and you know, you clearly are thinking about things on another level. Um, a, another group of people that thinks about things on another on another level are the Baltimoreans themselves. Yeah, the, our listeners to this this fine and august program. Mm-hmm. So, just maybe by way of sort of a lightning round, I'd like to pitch you guys some of the ideas that came in over Twitter from our listeners and see what you think of them. One, uh, the first one comes from uh, seductive Tommy Hunter, uh, who. <laughs> <laughs> Nick uh, continues to is, be the greatest <laughs> Twitter account uh, yeah. on the internet. Differentiated from Tommy Hunter by virtue of being much more seductive. Sure. Um, I'd, uh, I'd he, go on a date. Sure. Seductive Tommy Hunter feels uh, that we should have the bullpen pitchers practice Kama Sutra moves during the seventh <laughs> inning stretch. Um. Not to be too graphic, do, do you think he means with each other, with the catchers, <laughs> with the bullpen coaches? Commissary moves tend to be in pairs, don't they? Uh, by definition, yeah. It's called okay. the Congress of. Oh, okay. <laughs> different different <laughs> Congresses. All right. Well, then it also gets into, like, who takes the lead? Is it your eighth inning guy or your closer? Or do you use the best reliever in the situation? Or is the closer always the guy? Uh, um I, 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 very good questions. Very good. Tommy, we're going to need a little bit more clarification on this idea. I'm going to give perhaps an illustration. (laughs) We're going to, we're going to send it back to the net, to to the lab. (laughs) For now, I'm going to give it appropriately two Derek Jeters. I was was trying to think of a baseball player with a little bit of a, maybe promiscuity in his, uh, in his dossier. All right. All right. So two Derek Jeters, more research needed. All right. Uh, Rob the Plumber says that crooked hat thing players think is cool should be outlawed. Hashtag crap. Why don't you take this one? <laughs> I like the I like the crusty old manness yep, of it. Yep, there's a certain rocking <laughs> um, chair get off my lawnness that I appreciate. Yeah, he's really got conviction. Um, but I'm also I'm feeling still a little stung from Sam's 67 rubes, and now I'm being painted as the square. So now I'm gonna rebel against my squareness and say. Man, if they want to cock the brim to the side, who does it hurt? So I'm going to give him – oh, let's see. What's a good unit of measurement for this? Um, God, who who wears – I know CeCe Sabathia really popularized the flat brim. How about, how about Fernando Rodney? Mm-hmm. Did he? What did he rock? The crooked. Oh, did he? Also, he shoots the arrow. You could okay. go Pedro Strope if you wanted Pedro to uh, play to the base. What did he do? He also wore his hat like that. Okay. <laughs> and right. was a much worse pitcher than Fernando Rodney. <laughs> All right. I'm going to give this four Fernando Rodneys. All right. All right. Okay. I'm going to give this uh, one. I'm going to give this one <laughs> Jim Leland. Oh, why didn't I pick a Jim Leland? Nice. Get off my lawn. <laughs> Indeed. It's okay. Get off my manicured grass. <laughs> okay. Uh, Ranting Oriole Bird says, if you have a prescription, Adderall should be legal. 
Now, so this is what uh, I went back and forth with him. Or I think it's a him, it might be a her, about this, and I think this is what uh, the argument is. Right this year, uh, Chris Davis was suspended for using Adderall, not because he didn't have a prescription from a doctor, but because he didn't have, in addition to that, the quote therapeutic use exemption that you then also have to get on top of the prescription from Major League Baseball. So he, he's saying, or she's saying, you should. Just get rid of the therapeutic use exemption. If you have a doctor's note, it should be legal. I'm going to give this five Dr. Zeismores, <laughs> <laughs> which if you happen to live in New York City, you are familiar with the lovely set of advertisements that is always running on New York City subways about a man, Dr. Zeismore, who claims to have the solution to all of your skincare problems. Which, which by the of way, course, is chemical fruit peels. Chemical fruit peels. <laughs> which, of course, begs the question of what do you define as a doctor? <laughs> right. if, it, if, say, you are a doctor of philosophy... <laughs> or a, a, a you know, a, a less than entirely medical profession doctor and you write this note, does it still count? Looking at you, Tony Bosch. <laughs> For example, if you are a practice nurse practitioner, how much does it count? I think I think I, I think I'm going to need more information. My my fear is kind of what Alan said. I, I think it's no secret that these days, especially when you're a major league ball player with tons of money and access to the entire country, you can find a doctor who will write you a note for anything, regardless of whether you legitimately need an Adderall prescription. Um, so I'm kind of torn. So I'm going to give this a question mark. Moise Salou. I chose Moise Salou because he used to pee on his hands to make them callousy. That doesn't really relate. I just wanted to find an interesting... Science? <laughs> Science? Uh, yeah, I just kind of wanted to say question mark Moises Alou. So, so uh, all right. The next one comes from JT Guads, uh, who actually went absolutely bananas <laughs> oh, on this one and I'm sent psyched. us, I believe, uh, about 342 <laughs> tweets on this topic. Uh, so thank you very much, Guads. These were all really awesome. I'm just going to mention a couple of them that were particularly interesting. Um, if you have a three-game losing streak, you must sacrifice a single-A player <laughs> to the baseball gods. <laughs> Running the gamut of ideas here. Um, I'm going to give that Eight Kalimas. <laughs> I hope we all get that reference. Yep, yep. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> uh, interesting, interesting. Well, okay, so it does fly a little bit in the face of my relegation theory <laughs> because then you're just you're making it even harder for the teams to make a run at the top. But I guess we're gonna have to reanalyze the entire you know mm -hmm. minor league system in light of this new newfound theory. Anyway, um, I'm gonna give it uh, a three Jerry Lewises. Uh, I think that religion has its place in baseball. I'm not sure that's it. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean like uh, like Tammy Faye, like Jim Baker? Oh yeah, Jim Baker. That's yeah. what I was oh, looking okay. for. <laughs> I'm gonna give this three Jim Bakers because I think that uh, that that while religion may have a real role and superstition may have a real role in baseball, I'm not sure that this is totally nailed it. <laughs> Might be a bridge too far. Uh, you know. Also, you talk about relegation making guys you know play their play their ass off. How hard are you going to play in single A to get to double A, knowing <laughs> that you're, true. you're past yeah. that? I might get sacrificed if my team goes on a bad run. I mean, I think that if, if you happen to be in danger of, of, of being a team that was about to sweep somebody in the major leagues, wouldn't you have to throw that third game or have blood on your hands? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Literally. Good point. Good point. Uh, Ali Beswick thinks we can do this in two steps. Step one is place Scott Boris in a cannon. Step two is fire. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm gonna go ahead. I was gonna say uh, I'm gonna give it negative one evil Knievels <laughs> because I don't want him to survive. <laughs> I'm gonna go with five. I was gonna go circus. I was gonna go five guy in that famous black and white clip who takes the cannonball in the chest. Oh yeah, that's but great I'm gonna one. go a different way and I'm gonna give it five black beards. I'm gonna take my cannons out to sea because <laughs> while Scott Boris drives me nuts and his quotes are infuriating. Uh, there's an argument to be made. He is just doing the best to make money for his players. So he's very good at what he does. He is. He, he is. I mean, I think in some ways your argument is against capitalism, which I support. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, I think Scott Boris is in on the joke, you know? I mean, yeah. I think he, he oh, he's does playing, these he's extreme playing a character. Things. He's playing a character. Yeah. And, but he's, and you're right. He's, he's very good at his job. And every offseason, he's got really one really funny dig about the Mets. Like some Mets beat writer will ask him, like, how are the Mets doing this? Obviously, he's like, the Mets are shopping in the government cheese aisle. I'm selling from the filet aisle. <laughs> Something that's kind of funny, but also true and sad. So. Government cheese aisle. <laughs> that was the one last year he did like a supermarket analogy to where he's like, you know, I look forward to when the Mets can shop at my prime rib store. Right now, they're buying six-day-old government-tainted... I forget what he said, but yeah, it's pretty Pink great. slime. <laughs> All right. Yes! I think, we I think you skipped me on the third ding, so... Oh, thank I'm you sorry. I'm sorry. Fine. Oh, but wait. Maybe Alan Smith can take us back to the Shire. Uh, Do it. Do what's Do the Shire? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, take us there. What's the Shire? Uh, well, okay, so here's the thing. At the end of the third book, after the ring has fallen into the pit of doom and uh, the, the, the end of, of the entire saga has happened, for some reason, Tolkien insists on taking us back, like Nick says, to the Shire for a, a so- kind of meaningless little, like, interlude near the end where the hobbits get back and there are these weird toughs who have taken over the shire and they have to go stand up to them and i never really understood why it was there and it doesn't really have a lot of meaning to it much like the story i'm telling right now (laughs) (laughs) so it's sort of like an empty capstone on what was otherwise an excellent series of books (laughs) well ladies and gentlemen uh i think that will do it for well, episode, can I, oh, can I, can I actually put a, a a semi-serious capstone on this entire thing? Please do. So, Bird's Eye View. Um, <clears throat> if you listened to their show, you heard their episode earlier this week, which ended with a, I think, lovely tribute to uh, Click and Clack, the Tappet Brothers, who, of course, did the uh, amazing Car Talk Radio for many years. We want to just pour one out for Tom, uh, who passed away earlier this week from complications uh, resulting from Alzheimer's. I, for one, got my public radio start listening to them every Saturday morning. They were not always the best show, but they definitely made me uh, appreciative of what public radio could be and what radio could be, and in some ways what two people who really liked each other sitting in a room talking about something they really cared about could be, which I think is really very lovely and very important, and uh, I I really appreciate them and what they did. So... We're not going to do any more of a sign-off than that, but I appreciate the 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 the, the role they've had in my life. Yeah, I well think said. anybody out there who enjoys listening to any kind of chat show podcast where they leave the laughs in, yeah, you owe that to Car Talk. Yep, absolutely. And I would also like to say, if you're one of those people who likes to hate on Car Talk for being, <laughs> I don't know, people feel like it's too homey or cheesy or something, I would just like to issue a challenge to you to make something make a show 
called Car Talk that's about fixing cars <laughs> that is loved by millions of people who either can't drive or don't own cars. Yeah. Go go make your own thing that occupies that special place for people and then that you're allowed really, to that say really don't care about the underlying <laughs> subject at all. Yeah. Then you're allowed to say that car talk's not good. That's a great point. And also they still rerun car talk. Oh yeah. I haven't made it. And I was listening recently, like two weeks ago and they're talking about car technology that doesn't exist. Like it's outdated. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking this is still great. Yeah. And it's, it's an old episode talking about, again, you're right. A lot of New Yorkers don't drive, don't care, but now they're even talking about things, parts of cars. That they don't, <laughs> and I'm just like, but this is still awesome. That's, yep. How does that? That's amazing. Yeah. A lot of charisma, a lot of charisma for two people who, <laughs> who worked on cars their whole lives. Right. <laughs> Rest well, Tom. Yep. Don't drive like my brother. Don't drive like my brother. Well said. <laughs> nice. Thank you very much, Nick, for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. This is my third time, which means I'm three-fifths of the way, because I like to think you guys, much like SNL, have a five-timers club. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. You get, like also, a bathrobe. It's also, monograms. You're, 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 you're six away from a free coffee. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> uh, and uh, where, where can people find you out there on the internet, Mr. Markovich? Oh, um, free silver party, perhaps? Yeah, freesilverparty.com, sure. Um, uh, <laughs> um, it's better to find me in person. I don't translate well <laughs> through computers. Um, but you can come find me. We'll have a conversation. I just don't think that's true. What? I, so, I, I, you know, everyone has that function on, on Facebook where you can, like, make people your favorite friend. And then it like you alerts can do that? you. Yeah, yeah, you can you can you can make people favorite friends. Oh, I didn't know. And that. and when you do, it it alerts you to their postings in the same way that like your own postings. Like you know, if someone posts on your wall, you get a little alert. Yeah. If you favorite a friend, the uh, the, the those postings show up every single time. So every time I log into Facebook, I'm alerted to my favorite friends' activities. I've only ever favorited one person on Facebook, and it is you. Really? Yeah. Oh, so, you. in fact, you're wrong. You would tra at least through the modicum of Facebook status updates, you translate exceptionally well. Oh. Okay. I think actually, if there is any, if there are two words that I would like to leave you with from your visit here tonight, Nick Markovich, there you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> not not Nazgulian. <laughs> what an upset! I would have thought Nazgulian would have won. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us on the internet at bmorons.com. You can follow us on Twitter at bmorons. Thank you very much for listening, and good night. You can't judge Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com.